When the bass drops, that's when I know it's my it's my cue. Uh, welcome to the crossover. I am Dan Clark, and I'm Sean Keating. You can uh, find us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, rate, review. Been doing a great job. Uh, many listeners listen on Spotify as well. Yeah, we're in the double digits, people. Um, it's great feeling feeling good about that. And uh, you can also get a hold of us or check out our our content. On, uh, on the gram, as the kids call it. Um, and we are at the crossover.podcast. Um, you can DM us there. You can like our posts. You can harass us if you want. Yeah, and the best thing you can do is, is share it out. Uh, people have been doing a great job of sending it to a friend or, or two or three, and, and that's the best way to spread the word about the crossover. We've, we've had a nice... Uh, uh, Pleasantly surprised, I think, with with how many listeners we've had to start and the consistency, and and we can even look at the geographic location. We got some listeners in Ireland, Croatia. We know uh, you're out there, Croatia, Tennessee. Um, it's been pretty cool to watch. And today on the show we have JP Nurban. Uh, JP is a Mentor, he runs the business um, Thrive On Challenge, which offers mentorship to coaches. And um, I got to meet JP about a year ago when I decided to um, do some professional development in Park City, Utah. Um, I, li- I was a big follower of his podcast uh, called Coaching Culture, which you can find on Apple Podcasts. And and JP just Put the opportunity out there to the coaches. Um, if you wanted to go with about a dozen coaches, high school, college, 80s, to Park City, Utah for a unique opportunity to just grow and 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 learn with like-minded people. And that's how I get to got to know him. And then I um, signed up for his mentorship service this past coaching season. And I've just been blown away by the value he's added to our basketball program and my development as a person overall. Yeah, um, sitting down and talking with him here uh, was was pretty great. Definitely a very humble man. Doesn't like to really gloat or take any you know extreme credit for being you know an expert in his field or a great mentor. But by talking with him, you can tell he is all of those things. Um, very knowledgeable and uh, just a great guy to sit down and talk with. A host of things about, uh, including his life in Ireland, talking about some of that. Uh, mentorship side of things and education in general. I think you're really going to enjoy his conversation as educators, as coaches, as parents. That's our job is to mentor young people. And and I think um, we all know that side of it. And I also think it might make some of our listeners think about, do you have a mentor out there and, and what role could a mentor be and how do you seek out somebody that can support, challenge, empathize with you and, uh, I think that's really critical in today's day and age to be successful. Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway for me is that, hey, I should probably be looking for a mentor because I don't have one. And uh, just by him laying out why it's worth it, it's definitely worth it. You can check out JP's book on Amazon, Calling Up. It's a tremendous story um, about transformational coaching and include some of the, the things JP went through 
as his quest to become a transformational coach and leader and mentor. You can follow JP on Twitter at JP Nurbin, N-E-R-B-U-N. And you can check out JP on his website, thriveonchallenge.com. We're super excited to bring you our conversation with our guest on the crossover, JP Nurbin. Enjoy. I, I was going to start with, um, so growing up in South Carolina, JP, and, uh, you know, obviously lots of hopes and dreams, basketball, Division One, um, South Carolina, become a mentor, start your own business, got your own podcast, and really, you finally made it. You're on the crossover. How does it feel? Have I made it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Jeez. I think you, I don't know if I've, I would say I've, I've made it. And, and, uh, I think you always reach certain levels of success or achievement. And, uh, you, you know, you always come back to that thing of like you wanting more, like it wasn't enough. Right. So like as a high school athlete is like, gosh, if I could just get to college and play college division one basketball and you got there and you're like ah, 13th man, if I could just, get in the game and you get in the game you're like, Oh, if I could just score a basket, you know, or can I just enjoy the travel team? And you constantly move through life looking for next or bigger. But, um, I don't know. I think I've made it right now because I look at my family. Um, it probably didn't look like that two hours ago as I was about to lose my mind with them in the backyard, <laughs> but I literally think I've made it now just because I think I've reached a point in some ways where, um, I'm succeeding in that aspect of my life. You know, there'll always be more I can achieve in business. And obviously there's more I can do as a father, but um, I really feel like I'm in a nice groove there as far as life. And you know, I've been all over the place, you know, as far as where I've lived and stuff. And I currently live in Ireland and that's the dream come true. And to be here with my wife and two kids and for us to be safe and growing together, that's, that's to me, that's kind of making it right now. So why, what, like, why was Ireland the dream and how did it, how did you end up there? What does that, what does that journey look like? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I played basketball at the university of South Carolina as a walk on, which, you know, that's a podcast in itself of a story that I've never really, really told, but, um, you know, it was in so many ways, it was dream come true, played in Madison square garden twice, got, maybe 90 seconds in the court both games, but it was awesome still to be in there and to be a division one athlete and have that title and that status, but it was also incredibly empty. And, um, at the end of it, uh, that, that, that year they cut me loose. They had recruited a few other people from, from other, from other schools and stuff. And, um, so I, I kind of went over to Ireland to study abroad program for four months. And it was the first time I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina, went to high school there, went to college there my first year and a half. And so when I get over to Ireland, really my first time living away from home, but also is my first time as a person not being known as a basketball player. Like all my life, basketball was my identity. It was how people saw me. It was how I saw myself. And two months in Ireland, I'm just hanging out with a bunch of the Irish lads, you know, having fun, drinking pints, uh, occasionally going to a, a class on Irish trad music or Irish folklore and you know, just, just going through college there. But I'm just like 
connecting people because of who I like, who I really am, like as a person, like just my personality, uh, I feel like really started to come, come forward because I felt safe. I didn't feel like I had this thing to prove. Um, and nobody cared that I was a basketball player or I played or, or that I had been cut. Like I was living with that, you know, of, of that shame. So that was where I really connected. So two months into it, I called my mother and said, all right, I'm moving here full time, you know, and then the, lived there six years and I'll shorten this part of the story, but I thought I'd always stay there, but end up meeting my wife who's from you know, just outside Philadelphia. I met her in, in Ireland. She was on study abroad. And so she brought me back, but it was kind of like, you know, I fell hard in love with her, um, which pulled me away from Ireland and the economic downturn. It didn't look like it was a good position to get me to get a job at that stage, but she loved it when she was there. We had 38 people come over to our wedding in New Jersey because that's how Irish people are. And they're like, Oh, party in America. We'll be there. <laughs> so it was, it was awesome. And, you know, it also just shows you the level of friends that I have over here is incredible. And so there was always this draw. And in fact, for the last, since I moved back in 2012 and then we moved back um, to the States, we moved back in 2012 and I moved back to Ireland in November of 2019. I never felt like, I was just where I was supposed to be. And there was always this thing that my heart was still in Ireland. And I know that sounds kind of cheesy or cliche, but I, it's really hard to explain. But every time you wa- I would step off a plane in Ireland and visit, you just had this feeling of coming home and you would talk of it as home. I'd say, oh, it's so good. And people would say that to me too. Oh, it's so good to have you home. You know, are you glad to be home? Like Ireland for me is home. And I don't know how to explain that. And it's not me trying to, you know, a crack on America. It's just, just for me, I always have started to, since I've lived there, I associate Ireland with home. Yeah. There's definitely something to that. Like when you leave the United States, you know, especially in that time, like during college or right after college, you know, you don't like you, you, you kind of nailed, nailed it where you talked about how you just, you don't have to be this person that you have been expected to be or like people made you out to be for all those years growing up, you know, you carry all that with you and then you get that nice, like a clean break and you can shed some of those, what, like expectations that those people had of you, that the the way they saw you and you can see yourself in a totally different way. Like I moved to, I moved to Mexico the year, like the year after I graduated college and really it does just, it just blows your mind because people, back in the United States or where you're from, your hometown, like they've built up a perception of you. And over time, like you start to believe that until you break from that. And then you realize like, oh my God, uh, people, I can be seen in this way. And this is the way that I actually want to be seen. Um, And it's a really great opportunity that I don't think, I mean, enough people probably get Uh, you had that you went to ireland too didn't you yeah so we've talked a lot about that jp like being in in a different environment and there's a lot of you know psychology into that about if you want to change your behaviors change your environment and we've talked about a lot of books lately um one that i really enjoyed was willpower doesn't exist and he talks about changing your your environment to change your behaviors and he talks about you know journaling which we'll get to in a little bit and going to a different place and so is there something that just struck a chord when you were in Ireland about that, about being in a new place? Like you, you talked a little bit about it, but just, just that 
that moment like was it just like this feels just right i mean was it pretty immediate did it take a little bit of time like yeah i mean i think i was there like in my first week and I was still hanging around with the American study abroad students. And I said, one of the reasons I wanted to go to, I wanted to go to an English speaking country abroad because I wanted to experience the culture. And so within my first week, I was pretty adamant to say, you know what? I'm not going to hang around my fellow countrymen at all during this time. I'm going to actually drop all of them very quickly <laughs> and find Irish friends. And I was visiting and it was quickly, I was visiting their families and you know, their mothers were getting some good free meals on the weekends and get my laundry done. You know, it was awesome. You know? But uh, I, I don't know if there was a, there was just like a one crowning moment other than just, you know, being in there as, and just starting to really get to know people um, and have a, you know, a much different experience than I think other people had on that not that other people didn't have a positive experience on their study abroad, but I really started to just spend time during the day learning about why they thought the way they thought about certain things. I mean, I grew up in the South my entire life. So I had, like you said, there's certain expectations, but there's also certain beliefs. And I was willing to say, you know what, I'm going to put all that aside just to really understand. And then they come in there trying to project my beliefs as an American or as a a uh, young person from the South or someone that was raised, you know, in a big Catholic family in their life. I just came in there just trying to really understand why they had these, these uh, beliefs uh, and, and as a culture. And, and honestly, it's just, everything slows down when you're here too, you know, um, I'm a better version of myself when I'm in Ireland. I just know that to be the case. Um, I don't know if that's a good explanation. I just, just, I, th I don't know. I just, I, th I think for, for me, um, that Ireland, Ireland draws something out of me there. Yeah, you're like you just talking about this is just bringing a flood of memories of like the times that I experienced kind of that shock. No, I had this kind of culture shock. I mean, you probably experienced that, but like there are those traditions or ways of life or ways of thinking that you're just like, okay, you're trying to think, you're trying to think through it, but you just sometimes it's hard to wrap your head around. I remember going to Mexico. And my wife, who I met there, was, I think we were about 25. Um, and she would still have to be home to her parents at like 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And I'd be like, you're 25. How does this, you are an adult. You can go do what you please. And she's like, well, that's just, yeah, cute. But, you know, that's not how it works. Don't they do Fiesta here. still 4 a.m. in Mexico? Well, that's, that a, a thing. that's a different story. But, I mean. It's just these. There's these. There's these parts of culture that it's sometimes when you try to think your way through. Like, how did you guys get to that point? Like, you finally there's moments where you're like, okay, I I get it now. Things are just not safe sometimes past <laughs> ten thirty. Uh, dudes with masks riding around the back of a truck right now. So yeah. good to be home. So what are I mean? You alluded to this before, but what are some of those, you know, shocking moments or? getting hit in the face with the learning curve that happened to you. <laughs> well, you mentioned, or one of you mentioned off there, the whole crack, like what it, it, the Irish talk about crack. And uh, this is actually comes back to, I think, I, I don't know if I can explain what is crack first off. Um, it's really, really hard to explain. I'll give you a basic definition, but you really have to experience the crack. So <laughs> I'm going to clip that out and just use that as our promo. 
So two days in Ireland, uh, living there, I was walking back from one of my classes and I had been out late the night before and one of my, they call them housemates, um, one of my house, housemates, there was a, we had a little bit of a apartment, there were six of us that went to college there, five of them were Irish. And I was meeting her on my way walking back uh, from, a, from a class or maybe I was just grabbing a cup of coffee um, with some friends, but two days into it, I'm walking back and she has this big smile on her face. She goes, well, JP, how was the crack last night? And I was like, what are you talking about? Um, I was like, I, I don't do drugs. Like, what's going on here? It's like, oh, no, go on. Surely, surely you had a bit of crack last night. And I'm like, no. Nope. <laughs> don't remember that part. <laughs> and she just laughed and kind of waltzed on, you know, and, and it wasn't until later I learned, you know, I asked her like, what are you talking about? You know? And she's like, Oh, you haven't heard the Irish phrase crack. And I'm like, no, she's like, it's kind of hard to explain. Um, but essentially crack is, you know, C R A I C. I think there's actually an IPA beer in the States called the crack, but um, it's, it's in a simplest term. It's fun. You're having fun, but there's a certain level of Irish fun and banter that are involved in having the crack. You know, and it's, it's often having the crack is, you know, having a few pints or it's, you know, sitting around having a cup of tea and just having laughs, um, making fun of each other. You know, that's a very Irish thing to do is just abuse each other really hard. <laughs> there is no boundaries. Jokes are really highly inappropriate often, oftentimes. <laughs> you have to have thick skin and not be too sensitive. Um, nothing, nothing is sacred in Irish culture, I don't think. So that's the crack. It's kind of just sitting around having fun, you know, as they say, slagging each other. So. Yeah. That's one of those that I've, I've always remembered when I study abroad over there and, and just this whole conversation, just wrap up this portion, but like, just, I always encourage students to, if you get a chance to, to study abroad, because it's such a powerful time in your life to be in your, your, your early twenties, go to a new environment, meet people, explore your beliefs, your identity, who you are, like, like just what an amazing time it is just to be alive and go see a different part of the world. It just opens up your eyes to things that, um, you, you didn't know were out there. And I know for me, I went as a, as a senior in college and went over to Ireland and lived in Galway and it was just an amazing time and met a lot of people and, and just did a lot of reflection and, and journaling JP. And uh, it was just great. It was awesome. So, um, you know, I was lucky enough. It's about a year ago that, um, or a little longer that I started listening to your podcast. And then I remember at the end of one of the episodes talking about this retreat in Park City, Utah. And I'm like, what is he talking about? And I'm like, I've been to Park City, Utah, and he's going to take these coaches. He's going to get a house and we're going to go there. So I called you up. And you kind of told me, yeah, we kind of got a group going, and uh, but we could take one more. And I'm like, well, if you take me, I'd, I'd, I'd show up. So I, I met JP uh, last summer out in Utah, and we did a, a pretty awesome professional development um, coaching summit and got to know you out there. And um, you've you've built a business called Thrive on Challenge and, and mentorship and the other thing that I've, I've talked about on here is about transformational coaching in general. And I, I always try to explain it, but you're kind of the, the master of it. So I'm going to let you, you talk a little bit about just what this whole world that you're in now of, of mentorship and transformational coaching 
just give our listeners a little bit about what it is because I've been spreading the word and I've talked about it. Um, and a lot of our listeners out there, um, I think are pretty interested in, in how we're doing things with, with our program. So how did this all happen, JP? <laughs> well, let's, I mean, I guess you gotta kind of go down, you know, my, my journey as a coach and I was just started actually off in Ireland and, uh, I coached for over a decade, five years in Ireland, uh, five years in Tennessee and a few years over there in Pennsylvania. So, um, you know, it's the transformational coaching is when your purpose and your behaviors, or at least they start to align more. I think everybody gets into coaching for the most part because they want to make a difference, but we lose that way. And I lost my way in my coaching journey. The more and more success I had, and winning, the more that's what coaching became for me. I might not have said that. I might have said, oh, why do you coach? Oh, I coach to make, you know, a difference in kids' lives. But it didn't align with my heart. And that didn't align with my behaviors because I had very, what we call transactional behaviors, which are leading through very extrinsic ways of manipulation, shame, anger, fear. Um, you know, even, even, um, you could try the positivity, you know, using this positivity, just dangling the carrots just to get them to do what you want them to do. Whereas transformational coaching is, is very much more um, aligning your purpose with your behaviors, your purpose being to transform the people that you work with to also transform yourself, uh, that we all growing through this process and to do that in a way where you're not trying to control others, but you're heart is one where you see them as people, not as something that serves you. And you are walking the journey with them. You're transparent in the journey around your own struggles, your own challenges. Um, you're in the trenches with them. And we're all just kind of growing together. So that's kind of a long answer to it. But that's getting there took me hitting rock bottom and coaching to a point of like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And this is not enjoyable. And then having to, um, realize that all this effort I've been trying to build into young people and build character and impact lives. Like I was really off base because it was all about changing them. And I had to first focus on myself. So the journey as a transformational coach always starts with ourself growing ourself. Um, and then we're in a position to actually walk with and help other people on that, on that journey to, to help them change. So that's, it's, it's, it's maybe, you know, I know maybe it sounds kind of lofty, but it's, I've, I've seen a lot of coaches really take to it, this, this change. That's obviously why you came out to Park City. That's how I set that thing up was all just, I didn't know what we were going to do when we got there, Sean, honestly. I don't know if I told you guys that. I'm sure I, I'm sure I, I came up with some, um, you know, lie and told you I knew what we were going to do, but I really didn't. I just said, let's just get a bunch of really great coaches that are pursuing transformational coaching. Now let's bring them together. Let's see what the heck happens. So once I got enough people together, I said, all right, well, now it's time to figure this out. You know, <laughs> I knew it was going to be awesome no matter what. Um, it actually surpassed my expectations, which usually things don't actually meet your expectations the first go around. But honestly, it was like, wow, this is awesome. Definitely things we could have done better, but just brought some, and that's not because of necessarily anything that I did other than just bring you guys together. And we all connected over that time. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's a hard road, the, the, the transformational coaching one, but um, 
like we got a lot of guys and, and, and women that are on that path right now. And it's exciting to be a part of that through Thrive on Challenge. And you, you talk a lot about journey. I mean, you talked about going to Ireland. You talk about the journey of transformational coaching. You talk about how you, you love writing. Uh, I'm wondering how much like the hero's journey really merges with what you try to do in life. Um, I mean, is that something that you think of when you are doing these, uh, you know, transformational coaching retreats or when you're doing these, you know, life changes? I mean, did this have a starting point or have you always been able to just recognize that, yes, let's go on this adventure and, you know, cross the threshold? Yeah. Oh, geez. That's a deep question. I guess, like, I think um, I don't really see myself as the hero at all. Anyways, I'm just trying to be the guide for a lot of coaches now because I had some guides on my path um, to help me make some really needed changes. I, I think there's an element to mentorship, which is at the core of what we what, what my business, you know, provides for coaches or leaders in general. We don't just work with coaches now, worked with uh, doctors, worked with people in business principles. So I've, I've, I've worked with them on leadership de- uh, development there. But I always say there's three levels of mentorship. The first being um, we just need affirmation sometimes on the journey, right? So everybody's on their journey. And so the first thing is we just, as a mentor, you try to provide affirmation of the things that they know to be true. You know, they have, and I think so often we're in the fight, we're on the journey and we have doubts because we're getting criticized. We are not seeing the results we want. And so I first see my first role is to provide affirmation of what they're doing well and what they believe. The second thing is to help them with the things they know they don't know. And I think, you know, there are certain things they'll, they'll call, coaches will call me up, leaders will call me up. Hey, I'm struggling at this. And I see it's my job to try to be an expert in the things around leadership and culture. That's all I focus my attention on for the last four years. I've completely given up on any interest in tactics of sports. Um, I don't really watch a lot of TV and I don't read, you know, too much outside of, uh, you know, into the entertainment aspect of things. I just, I, I, this is, this is what I really focus my life on is trying to be an expert on this aspect of things. But, uh, so yeah, answering the questions of things they know they don't know. But I think the deepest level is that when we can speak into people's lives on things they don't know they don't know. And that's like level the deepest level. But to get to that stage requires relationship. And so why is this not life coaching? Why is this not executive coaching? As some people want to phrase it. Is, I know that there's a relationship aspect to mentorship, which, you know, is always growing and deepening, you know, the people that I, I'm honored and privileged to be able to support. If they said, you know, I, you know what, um, when I left coaching or they just said they weren't going to be working with me in that capacity more, I would still have contact with them because I consider them my friends now. So there's a relationship aspect of it, which enables me to speak in to their lives in certain moments. Now it's not every day. It's just, there's moments that will come up obstacles that they will face or certain things that I will notice that they need to be, you know, uh, need someone to speak into their life to help bring them aware of those things. And so that's, I think the deepest level of what we're, we're trying to do on that journey. Like, what is the process? I know like Sean probably, like he just heard, 
heard the podcast basically off chance maybe and here's that specific episode like is it is it that up to chance to find a mentor like is there a process because i don't like i don't have a mentor do you have a mentor i mean i'm sure you do because you obviously are a mentor yourself you gotta know how like you probably follow somebody he comes else. from a long line of mentors <laughs> <laughs> what does that process look like yeah it's i mean Sean, why don't you why don't you chime in here before I share? Because I have lots of different stories I can share. But what's your what's your story on that? Because there's always an initial resistance, I think, from most people to be like, "Oh, I'm a sign up for mentorship." So yeah, and I, and I think it goes to what I was going to get into you a little bit with uh, is, you know, there's this little voice we all know in our heads about, you know, am I good enough? Am I doing a good job? Um, you know, and do I need help? And that process of not knowing what you don't know and, and the quest for, for being a lifelong learner. And I think as a coach, um, this for me has always stuck out. I, when I first became a head coach, I met with um, a longtime college successful coach who's coached for over 30 years. And I sat down with him and he just said something that always stuck with me. He said, Sean, I love your excitement. I love your passion. You know, I'm a young coach aspiring, trying to figure out how to to change the world. And he's just like, I'm just going to tell you that being a head coach, you're oftentimes going to feel like you're on an Island and you're going to feel like no one can understand what you're going through. And that just always resonated because I did feel on an Island many times in my first few years. And, um, really for me, the only people that you can talk to are other head coaches because they understand they can be empathetic and understand the situation that you're in. And for me, when I um, decided to uh, go up with JP, it was just an opportunity to have somebody that would understand the situations that you're in and provide some insight and support that we all need. You know, we all need this in some walk of life. And unfortunately, a lot of us don't have that support. And, you know, JP, a lot of our listeners are, are young, young people, our students, um, um, you know, people that have graduated that listen to our show and, and, you know, I think about them and I think about when you're took this risk basically, cause we all have that little voice. And I'm sure at some point you said, I'm going to be a mentor. There has to be part of you. That's like, what do I, you know, like, am I good enough to offer this service? Like, can I like, so how did you go through that process of taking that entrepreneurial risk and diving in? I mean, you obviously had to feel your book is calling up. You always had, had to feel called to do this. Um, what is that? risk been like? So quick story. My, one of my mentors, my actual only paid mentor that I've ever done, who I wish I could still work with him this day. He's kind of stepped out of it. Is a guy named Jamie Gilbert who co-authored the book, Burn Your Goals. And I was doing some work with Jamie and he was helping me to make this change in my coaching. And he gave me this task one day of going to 10 people in my life. This is, I'd encourage everybody to do this task. He said, JP, I want you to go to 10 people in your life, students, players, family members, friends, various aspects of your life. And I want you to ask them, what do you bring to the table? What moves the needle for them about you? You know, like what's special about you? And I push it off, you know, like if I asked you to do that, Sean, you put like, eh, you know, like, yeah, you know, but he came back to me, right? So Jamie came back to me and pushed me on it a couple of times. And finally I said, all right, 
So I asked a few people and said, hey, you know, come by my classroom or texted a few people. And, and I wrote down all the responses and then I shared them with Jamie and we, we talked about it. It was like, people were like, man, I really love coming to you for advice. My students were like, we wish you talked more and like lectured more because we enjoy hearing some of your ideas. And I was like, I hated lecturing as a teacher. I just wanted them to do the talking, right? That was always my mentality. We talk about education later, but um, you know, it was just, it was really humbling. I was resistant to it. Why? Because of you, reasons you would probably be resistant to it. Am I fishing for a compliment is what I felt like, right? But anyways, I got this feedback. And so I was like, all right, that's around the time I started a blog, which led to Thrive on Challenge. But when I started Thrive on Challenge, it was all like workshops for teams and speaking. It wasn't motivational speaking per se, but it was like, you know, coming in there and helping them outline their values. But I just saw that that's not really what coaches needed. It wasn't effective at driving real change. What coaches needed is what Sean just mentioned there. They need someone they can, they can bounce ideas off of. That's what Jamie was for me. I have mentors in my life now. You know, one of them I say, I, I talk to every Friday. He's, I was the best man at his wedding. He was the best man at my wedding. He's in the business world. And, you know, he speaks into my life in certain ways. There's a value in having someone even like he's one of my best friends. There is a mentorship relationship aspect of, of our friendship, but there's a value in having someone that's outside of your circumstances. John doesn't spend his waking hours thinking about how to help me with my <laughs> problems or preparing for those moments. You know, he's in a position he can help me, but I, I have to work really hard for, for my guys and, and, and my coaches. So, um, but I think what it really coming back to what your kind of initial question was of like how you get into it and why is it so important? I think Sean hit it on the head there is like coaches are actually really lonely. You would think, Oh, they can go to their assistant coaches, but so often the issues are sometimes with their assistants or they just don't understand you move over one chair and the situation changes by a million percent. Like there's such very little similarities between head coaching and assistant coaching, assistant coaches, go home and go get to go to sleep at night and sleep very well. Head coaches don't get to sleep well ever. You know, things just are always lingering in their mind. You know, um, there's a level of ownership there. And so being able to be that sounding board for coaches, it's, it's honor and privilege, but people I think are resistant to it. They think, you know, why should I have to pay maybe, or what, this is awkward. This is a little uncomfortable. So I think it's always an interesting journey of how people come to me uh, and how they've, and it's, it's been, it's been wide ranging, you know, it's just been weird how it's, but most of the times it's, it's often been through referrals of people having this experience. Um, it's kind of something that's actually really hard to market, you know, <laughs> in one stance because it's really hard to explain the value in it. Well, you're, you're not going to want to do this, but <laughs> yeah, like I can just imagine that sales pitch. What What's the most <laughs> rewarding part of your job? Hmm. Well, it's, you know, I do a lot of things like the podcast, I've written a book and it's nice to get people that like give you shout outs on Twitter or you give, run a great webinar, but it comes and it would definitely fall into the mentorship aspect of, of what we do. And I, I really, honestly, the most rewarding aspect of it is, is I, I can pull up and I've saved them, not because it's like um, an ego thing, but just because there's moments in this job that are really hard where you, you, you struggle, um, because your coaches struggle 
And when they're struggling, it like you feel like you failed them. Like if they encounter a culture challenge or they get resistance, you, it can be like, I, I, it, it's, it's caused me to be a much better empathizer because I, I don't know, I just, I empathize with my coaches on a, on so on a, such a deep level because I've been there. So I really struggle in those moments, but it's like, I have to come back to these texts or these emails where they've been like, man, the last year or the last few years, like my relationship with my kids, my relationship with my wife, um, it's just grown so much. Um, there's a couple messages I've gotten from, from wives where they're just like, it's funny. Cause they're like, <laughs> there's two in particular the wives were like, so didn't really understand what he was doing with this mentor, but <laughs> we're really grateful for you. It's been such a blessing to our family. You know, those are the things that I kind of are really special to be able to have that, um, you know, the, the, that type of affirmation. But I think my funnest moments are when I get to go and spend time with these, with these, you know, it's not all, all men, uh, men and women, but that, and, and, and connect with them and, and meet their families and just be a part of their life. Those are my, like the, the most enjoyable moments when I get to go there and be with them in person. Cause it takes that relationship to another level. Yeah. That's really powerful. That's, I mean, those personal relationships and, and seeing somebody grow, you know, it's almost like, you know, we talk a lot about parenting as we're both, you know, got parents of small children, which I know you do too. And, um, in our job as educators and as coaches, we know how stressful that can be and how challenging that can be. Um, for you who, who's travel so much for your job with, with your children, you talked about just kind of being at a, at a great place, um, at the beginning of the show here, um, how, how maybe has that put things in perspective for you on just your, your perspective on raising these little children when you're around? I think one of the coolest parts about your job is you're around some really amazing people and in your, you know, in your line of work and, and the people you get to talk to on your podcast and the people that you've met, I'm sure you look back in your life now and, and, and some of the people that you've really respected and, and looked up to and you've been able to have them on the podcast or have a conversation with them. Um, you know, that power of being around like-minded people. I thought that was one of the best parts for me of being out in Utah. I was like, man, these are all people that kind of see it the way I see it and, and want to make the same impact. And so maybe the fact that you found kind of your calling and, and this passion for what you're doing and then the relationship you have with your children, how has that kind of all impacted everything with, as being a dad and being a husband? Well, I, I would say it's definitely, there's like the, 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 you mentioned just the travel has become, you know, became really hard. And, and honestly, there's, you know, coronavirus and all that stuff there. There's been a real blessing in it for me, you know, obviously from a business standpoint and being self-employed, it hasn't been a real positive in that, in that shape or form. But, you know, I've, it's, I was scheduled to do a lot of travel from you know, April to the end of May. And, and, um, I've been able to be really close with them while still being able to connect with coaches. But, um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, you hit it there. Like it, we actually, you know, you were on the call last week where we got like maybe almost 20 coaches together that have been a part of the mentorship program. Um, not everybody made it this time, but like, it was one of the coolest things for me is that I get to talk to all of you every week. And so I get to be around people that I'm like, I love these guys, you know, I love these girls. Like, it's just, these coaches are awesome, right? There's that, 
I get to experience that where you all don't. And so to be able to bring everybody together, like in Utah or bring everybody together on that, 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 uh, you know, Google hangout was, was really, really unique. What I'd say is I get to dive and I get to learn from every person there. And, and some of the lessons that, you know, that's, that's where I, I feel like I'm cheating the system. I'm like, how am I getting paid to do this sometimes, you know, because it's like, I'm learning as I'm going through this experience, not just learning on how to build a better culture, not just learning how to be a better leader, because I am, you get to work with so many coaches, you get to see all these scenarios, you get to, you're learning rapidly because you have 20 something different labs that you're working in rather than just your one team. But I'm learning about, I'm working with coaches that are six in their sixties, fifties. They've got six kids, five kids, four kids, right? I mean, just like experienced fathers, you know, experienced mothers. And I get to, you know, have conversations around that, you know, and I'm learning from them as much as well as from them as well. And so I think that's definitely helped me grow and, 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 and they're often, sometimes they're giving me advice and remembering, you know, about being present with family and those things. So I'm putting myself around good people every day. And that's, 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 that's a special thing. Yeah. How often I'm like, I'm thinking of my own experience here and during this like quarantine time. And like, so as a mentor, as somebody who is, you know, studied and it seems like stoicism and the ability to control the controllables, how, how often is it that like when you're in a situation, you just, you just talked about being in the backyard and losing your marbles a little bit, but like how, that's over and done with them. How, but exactly. But how often does that happen where, you know, you're in a situation maybe with your kids and you know, that, that moment of, uh, opportunity where you could have, like, you should be exercising everything that you've limbic been. system flare up. Yeah. During, during a limbic system flare up, how often does that occur? And how often do you have to like, okay, just pump the brakes here. Me. Um, remember what you would have told somebody else to do in this situation. <laughs> like how often does that, you know, occur where you have to really reel yourself back in and kind of ground yourself. Cause I know just as a person who's, you know, of surface level stoic who tries to, you know, keep those basic principles of, you know, control yourself or what you can control, like your emotions, your, your language. But oftentimes those things are <laughs> slip out of the box, you know? So I'm, I'm wondering how as a mentor and a, you know, somewhat like an expert in this area, how, how often does that still happen? Well, I think I'm an expert at failing first <laughs> off. I don't know if I'm an expert at succeeding here. So that's how this whole thing started was I was in the middle of a year where I said, all right, I'm going to be all about culture and transformational coaching. And, you know, we ended up losing a bunch of games, worst losing season in my history of coaching. And so middle of the year, I wrote a blog about it, you know? So I think that's kind of how I uh, kind of approach it. I don't approach culture or leadership or personal development as some sort of guru. I just approach it as just some guy that's kind of fumbling around some days in, in the dark up the mountain and I'm trying to give I'm shouting out I think this is okay over here you know <laughs> that's kind of how I see it sometimes so my big thing is honestly been growing in that area and I've helped like I had a really powerful conversation with one of my coaches I worked with three weeks ago he says man I used to lose my mind on my players for years and this year like I am a totally different coach and he was very kind and giving me a lot of credit to helping him in that. 
because I gave him alternatives. I gave him other ways of doing things. So he wasn't just beating his head against the wall. And I was that coach for so long, right? I was able to make that, tr- that jump. But then the coach said, but I have this problem. And I knew exactly where he was going to go. I haven't made this jump with my kids yet. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, let me tell you about that, man. I'm working on that, you know. And I so just, your, your wife's got, so, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting her yet, but she's got so much good material that she could be using. <laughs> Our next guest on the crossover. Be a leader, JP. <laughs> be better. Well, Expect more out of you. You know, my phrase is, you know, my book being calling up. She's she's used that phrase. On before, so I, don't call, I don't feel like you're calling me up right now. Yeah. And those are don't some of the, the best inside jokes when, you know, my wife would be able to relate to what you were talking about earlier. But just like, you know, talking to JP, texting you, whatever. And, you know, she would ask me like, well, what would JP say that you should do? How would he say you should have had a list situation? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, and it's uh, my thing with my kids right now, and you know, just full transparency. Like I said to that coach, it's just like I'm honestly, man. I'm, it's an area where I'm really, I really struggle. You know, I am. My personality is a very doer personality. You know, and and uh, I don't like. I'm not the relator. Is not my tendency. It is not to relate or slow down or think or just want to just chit chat. I like to get things done. And having kids in your workspace every day has made working from home go from a dream come true to some days feel like a nightmare, (laughs) you know? So, but it honestly has empowered me to be able to make so much growth in that area. And I'd say it just, for me, it just comes back to being able to share in some of my failures because I think coaches connect with that more. Not like here's the prescription, buddy. This is what you're supposed to be doing. It's like, Oh man, no, like, dude, you should have seen me last week. I screwed up so bad, but like, this is what I'm trying to do right now, you know? So I've been doing it like, you know, you talk about stoicism, which, you know, I know actually, Sean, that's there. You guys impact my life. You put me down Ryan Holiday. I can't get enough of Ryan Holiday and his readings and, you know, uh, doing a lot of mindfulness, a lot of meditation. And I, so I, you know, I just, I just research the heck out of everything and I read every bit if I can and I try to put it into practice and I, you try to become really, really disciplined in those things and, and grow through these experiences, you know? So it's just some days it, when you, when your kids peeing and pooping all over the house, it gets a little hard to practice. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Amen, brother. He's almost three. Why is he doing this? (laughs) I can't tell you how many times that's everywhere. Really? Honestly, it was everywhere. Like, let's just be honest. Yeah. I got, I got twin boys and one of the, The funny parts lately has been in the bathtub and uh, they think it's funny to pee on each other. So um, oh that's that's kind of a fun game right when they get into the tub. So <laughs> um, as we start to wrap up, we got we got a bunch of questions here. So we'll try to kind of um, okay. go through them a little bit quicker. But um, I guess one thing I wanted to get your feel on is just education in general, right? I mean, um, I don't know if you ever taught, but you, you worked in, in high schools, you've been around different systems and obviously the educational system in Ireland is different than in the United States. Just, you know, we're high school teachers. Um, we talk a lot about it on this show, just about, you know, there's, there's these state requirements, you know, one of the things with the coronavirus that has happened is like no standardized testing. Um, now these kids are at home. They're usually here for eight hours we've talked a lot about like, man, this is a, be a great time for some, 
you know, educational reform and some creativity and, and a new way to maybe try to look at education in general. Do, do you have any just kind of general philosophies on what you've seen in, in education and maybe how it, it compares in Ireland and, and what you've experienced in your life? Yeah, I have a physical education and English education degree from the University of Limerick. And then I taught for five years, uh, five years of English, three years of physical education. And um, which is funny because I hated school and I did not like English, but I was in a private school. So I had some freedom to, I wasn't kind of like many in public schools held to testing. And so I was able to be really creative. Um, I really struggle with the education system like you guys probably do as well too. So, you know, I'm not going to, you know, use this next minute to kind of just bash or destroy it. But I just say what I found to be really effective from when I started to when I finished, you know, a few years back was I really started to say, what are, what do they need to know to be really successful later on in life? And so I turned English class into like, we would start with, every day with a question, we'd go for a walk around the campus for like five minutes, maybe a question about the book we read, might be just some question in life. We, we would read books that were more on personal development, leadership development, life, life. You know, there weren't a lot of literature stuff. We'd have our a literature book for the year, but I really tried to transform that classroom. It was, you know, I would do crazy things. I was, I tried, it was, I, I tried to be like, what's, what's his name from, um, uh, Robin Williams and the uh, Dead, Dead Poet, Poet Society. Yeah, I was, I was. His last name's Keating in that movie, actually. Oh. John there Keating. You go. Mr. John Keating. Keating. I was, yeah. man. We threw all the physical education books every year, like last year. <laughs> we take all the books and we didn't throw them out the window, but we, we took them down to the book room and I'd have them symbolically toss it in there. I'd go back in there and tidy them up later, but, you know, like I would just like, chuck them in there. <laughs> education book and we toss in the English literature books, you know, and uh, I just became so much about relationships in, in the last few years and trying to give them stuff. And I used to tell them that, like, what would make this class awesome for you? Like, what do you need to know? Like, what do you need to get better at to go and be and achieve what you want in life? And I would try to sculpt the classroom on that. Um, same with physical education. It was all experiential learning. We'd go out there, we'd compete, we'd sweat. And then we, as our heart rates would be up, we'd I would pull them in and we'd, we'd talk about what's happening here. You know, we, we would go hikes on the weekends. We would, you know, go to jump parks. We would do all this crazy stuff. So I, I really tried to have a drastically different approach, but I was in a unique situation that nobody was really watching what I was doing. Um, I was just like, it was like open range. So <laughs> it was you, awesome. Did it end like uh, Mr. Keating's uh, reign and dead poet society with a, <laughs> a nice fire? No, I, I was, I was fortunate enough that people really, really appreciated it. And it, you know, it was, and you know, especially my last year was a real special year. I had some of the best relationships I'd ever had with my students. So, um, yeah, my, my approach is more like so much of what we learn is is not relevant it's not important for where we want to go in life and i just got so tired of having to do that and that's why when i moved from tennessee to pennsylvania that was another reason i was like i need to start my own business because i cannot go into education because there's no school that's going to let me do the things that i was doing as far as like not sticking to a curriculum <laughs> <laughs> food for thought um books we know you're a giant reader i don't know you read like 500 books every day um <laughs> give me three 
It doesn't have to be like the most three influential, maybe it's lately, but just three books that you've read that are just maybe have had a giant impact on you or that you would recommend. Um, the Road Less Traveled by Scott Peck was something that I read when I was probably around 18 or 19 and, and it's something that really impacted me. Worth checking out. Essentialism by Greg McCune is hugely influential. Um, it's just as far as so many aspects of my life and just trying to continuously cut out the things that don't provide value for me or for other people. Um, so I'll love that one. And then, yeah, this is hard. It's always hard to put it down to three books, but I'm looking over my bookshelf there for, for one there. I, I honestly, uh, um, I, uh, you know, I think leadership is obviously a big one that I, I've spent a lot of time around. I've read a lot, a lot of leadership books. Um, I think one of the most fun ones you can pick up there and, and very practical for, for people to use is, uh, uh, Michael Abershoff's uh, It's Your Ship. It's just a fun, fun leadership read. And it's, it's obviously a true story too. So it's, uh, it's, it's a cool and worth picking up as well. You, you've, one of the cool things I talked to Dan about um, that you told me in Utah was that not only do you journal and we, we don't have a lot of time to talk about the, the habits and all that, but um, one of the things I thought that was really unique is that you've, you've started some journals for your kids and you talked about that process a little bit. T tell our listeners why you started that and then what your goal is with those journals. Yeah. You know, sometimes I worry because I'm like, man, the stuff I wrote two years ago, that was knuckle brain. But uh, I wrote these, I read these journals and I probably every week I dive in there, write some stuff down there. It kind of comes back to the Randy Pausch's book, The Last Lecture. He's like, he's dying. He knows he's going to die. He wants to leave his kids something. I was like, what if I was to die? Just worst case scenario. So I started it from that intent of like something was to happen to me, especially my kids are young. I would want them to know certain things, you know, I'd want them to remember certain things. So initially it started as that, but it also started this way to really coolly reflect on who do I, what do I want them to know? Like what's important that I want to pass on to them. And so when you sit down to write and reflect around what you want to pass on to your kids through this book, you really come back to, well, am I teaching them that now? Am I demonstrating that type of love or that type of character? If that's the things that you're trying to, you know, uh, pursuing your dreams or whatever it is that you want to write, write or talk about. Are you doing that currently? Because that's really what's going to be more influential. If I happen to die early and they pick up this book, it's not going to make even nearly the impact of if I actually just go and pursue those things and live that type of life. So that's the purpose behind it. It's a really cool way to reflect and journal. I think, that, I think being on, like having a podcast is also like, I look at this as, because I'm terrible at keeping a consistent journal. It's like two days here, skip a month, one day, you know, like I'm just... I don't have that. I haven't developed that habit yet, but I mean, most, I mean, how many episodes do you have on your podcast? What, what episode are you on right well, now? I, on, on my main one, I have 135 is I think next week. Right. So like so think about how many hours are like in existence of your, your, your thoughts, you know, recorded in the cloud. Like I feel like this is what would be the best way to really, you know, if you do, if we do pass early for the kid to really grasp and, you know, try to develop an idea of what their dad was like, that's what I think mean, that's, that's how I view it. It's just all these recorded hours of me. He should be able to cobble together what the hell I sounded like and was like <laughs> as a person. 
Yeah, that that's another topic I saw. Uh, we can come back to it at a later time. But um, all right, most famous person in your phone is. Oh, that's a good one. Well, I just added Kate Fagan to my phone. She wrote what made Maddie run because, you know, I was talking to her last week. Um, I don't know. I don't have know a lot of super famous people. Um, Mike Neighbors got his number. So Kate Fagan. I think I got a few other people I've had in the podcast. I think I got maybe I have James Clare's number in there as well. Okay. Um, if you could add one person to your quarantine life, to your family that's living. So within your family clan, if you could pick one person in the world that would be quarantined with you, who would that be and why? They don't have to be family? Nope. Could be anybody in the world. Seven and a half billion people, JP. You got to pick one. Any of those seven and a half billion people. Um how long are we going to be quarantined for? Let's say four weeks. Four weeks. I think it'd be a nice, it'd be an awesome time to hang out uh, with a guy like Bob Goff. Love Bob Goff. Love his books. So he's he'd be a fun guy to hang out with, I think, for four weeks. Sweet. Um, and the last one, it's going to, you know, it's kind of a deep one, but we'll, you got to sum it up in 30 seconds. What role does faith play in your life? Mm. <laughs> you talk about journey. I think that is this journey that I've been on. Um, gosh, you know, in some ways all my life, but really started to pursue it around when I was 17 or 18. I studied philosophy for my first two years at, at South University of South Carolina. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's a, at the core of what, what I'm really pursuing when it comes to truth. Is, is understanding and learning more about my faith and what is the truth. Um, and I think I'm just relentlessly pursuing that uh, more so than anything else is honestly what, what it comes down to is what I read and what I try to take in is, is to help uh, pursue the truth more and more every day. 